0: Welcome again everybody to the greater community. Um, the idea behind this show is to highlight ministries both locally and globally to give you a bigger picture about what God is doing, maybe in ways that you never thought possible. And so today, got my good friend Lee Jost with us. Um, Lee and I have known each other for several years. We've had a lot of these conversations. This just happens to be an opportunity for us to capture one of these. And so you might be listening to this as a podcast. You might be seeing it in its video form on YouTube, but excited to have Lee with us. So Lee, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you're doing.
1: So I'm a pastor here in Olathe, Kansas. I've been um doing ministry most of my career, all of my career, really. That's uh, that's what I've done. Um, planted the church, Christ the Servant Church in Olathe about 10 years ago. And um, we're a house church, small congregation, mighty group, but a small group. And um, that's what I'm doing. I'm married, have a wife, three kids, granddaughter, no dogs, no cats. Um, just uh, that's it. So Pretty simple.
0: Well, when we talk about, there we go. When we talk about churches and house churches, um, people might have different ideas about what that means. I know your specific church and your vision for a church is a little bit different, and that might even be implied in the name of your church. So, yeah, how would you say Christ's servants a little bit unique compared to some other churches that people might be familiar with?
1: Well. Um, So I'll give you a little bit of my own history to kind of lead up to that. Um, Doing vocational ministry, I spent most of my career in youth ministry. And uh, so I would say the first 20, 15 years of ministry was all working with teenagers. Loved it. Um, Started really feeling like I was watching teens who would do stuff in youth group, and, and you know what it's like, Tom, they would, they'd get to go on all the cool mission trips, we played basketball, we had water balloon fights, we, you know, we ate pizza, we did movies, I mean, just everything, just this mm-hmm. constant engagement, and it didn't matter whether we were at church or whether we were out in the community, it was just connecting and doing stuff together, and then when we get to mission trips, they would just dive in deep, wholehearted, dive in deep and loved to do the stuff and the work then i started feeling watching these kids get to college and eventually leave the church altogether
2: yeah mm-hmm.
1: and as they left the church i i talk about why and they would all say things like well it's just you know you get to big church and it's just about going to the worship service on sunday there just doesn't seem to be this engagement that they yeah. they were missing so for a long time, I felt like we needed a church that was engaged, active, looked outward in the community. Um, I mean, you know, in youth ministry, I would spend as much time in the office as or more time in the community that I was in the office. Right. You know, and and that was that was where I was. Right. So, I began to consider that. I went to um, came on staff at Hillcrest Covenant Church. That was my first job in adult ministries, and I was the uh, the pastor of adult ministries at Hillcrest Covenant Church. And at the time, Mark Severson was there, and he said, you know, we I told him in the interview that in the next five years, I believed I was supposed to plant a church. I knew that. I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. I didn't have a clear vision of what it would be. Yeah. Um, but I just knew a church that was active and engaged. Yeah. And so they called me back for a second interview. I told them that again, and they said, that's great. That's, what, that's why we're looking at you. And then they called me back for a third interview with the staff, and I told all the staff the same thing. Yeah. This is what I think I'm supposed to do in the next five years. And then they hired me, and Mark said, well, within a year of me being there, they, they said, well, we're, we're looking at doing a, a church plant. And it was a multi-site. So it was, you know, kind of a a similar iteration of what Hillcrest was already doing as a video campus. And I helped out some. And when I finally realized that what this really was going to be was a a video campus, I started backing out of that leadership. And over that next year, I tried to remove myself. And Mark finally said, we're just going to have you be the campus pastor. And so I, I loved Hillcrest, I loved the church, and I thought, I will buy in, but I told Mark at that point, I said, I'll give you a year. And in that year, I wanna do a church planter's assessment and I want to learn as much as I can about building teams and budgets and all that. Yeah. But eventually it'll be me going out and launching the church. yeah So we did, uh, a year and a month later, February of 2010, uh, we went out and launched Christ the Servant. So that's how it got me to this place. Yeah. The year that I went out to launch Christ the Servant, um, that January, I took a position with Johnson County's Drug and Alcoholism Council. And the reason I did that, and this is not, it's not a faith-based group. It is a group of community members and civic leaders and governmental organizations and nonprofits that administer about $1.5 million worth of alcohol tax funds that come into Johnson County. So every time somebody buys a, a beer or a glass of wine at the restaurant, there's a tax on that. Oddly enough, that tax has to be dedicated to substance abuse, prevention, treatment, and education.
2: Yeah. Interesting. So
1: I took a position there because my goal in starting a church was to figure out where are the gaps in the community? Mm. And then how can a faith community be uniquely gifted to serve in one of those gaps?
0: So let me stop you right there. Cause I think that's such a different set of priorities for a church. You know, I think a lot of times when people think about starting a church, it's like, okay, where are we going to meet that's the first, you know, task. And then what does Sunday morning look like? What does worship look like? What's our style going to be? What's our format going to be? Who's our audience? But you kind of had a different set of priorities, and that's kind of shaped your church, right?
1: Yeah, that has shaped the church. Um, it, has, um, it has created some of its own barriers, but also it has released us from some of the the weightier things that can kind of slow our engagement in the community down. Yeah. Um, when, so when I went to do my church planners assessment, that was one of the things that I wrote as I had this vision in, in 2009, I did my assessment. And the vision was a church that would focus on what the needs were in the community, rather than focusing on filling our own needs. Yeah. And I know that sounds like it's, we need both churches. Right. We need both ways of engagement. Right. Um, one of the things that's been a barrier for us is families who have young children who want to see their young children grow up in, in these nurturing and discipling environments have tended not to stick with our church. Yeah. Because we don't have those youth and children's programs. Now we have young adults, we have teens, we have little kids in our church but these are folks who've made a an effort some of them even have kids that go to programs at other churches midweek yeah so in doing that we made some we made some value decisions early on and and those value decisions really drove our ability to stay nimble and stay engaged and focused in the community
0: And so, as you're looking at those gaps, I'm sure the target has sort of shifted from you know what you thought you were going to be investing your time into, or what gap you thought you were going to be meeting in year one versus the gap you are currently meeting in year ten. So, how does that process evolve, and how do you you know how do you start to understand what those gaps are? I guess that's the question. Is I think a lot of times churches talk about meeting needs. We want to meet the needs of our community, but how did you go about determining a what those needs are and b what resources you had to meet those needs how did you go about doing that
1: so um i wish i could say to you right now god gave me this crystal clear vision from the beginning yeah and from start to finish it's exactly what god planned but i live by the axiom it's better to be lucky than good any day <laughs> so Love it. um so how that process looked, when we first started our launch team for Christ to Serve, we had this group of people that met together on a regular basis, and we were at uh, some friends of ours, Randy and, and Cheryl Reinhardt, their house. We met in their basement, and we were praying, God, what do you have for us? Early on, one of the things, I was also involved, so I, I guess, you realize that there are things you haven't shared yet right so um so part of this is i was for the last 3 years before planning a church i was a part of the Olathe parent leadership institute so i was a group of parent leaders a handful from across the district that were being trained up as parent leaders within the district we weren't elected people we were volunteers we were helping with ptos and programs and what led you to be involved in what led you to be involved in that
0: initiative um, it seems like you know. You talk about I, I stepped on this, right? and these are not necessarily intuitive places that you find a lot of pastors stepping into. So, what what was your decision making process? Say, so, yeah, I want to be a part of that.
1: So that was my kids. Uh, I I would, I was involved in my kids' school. I um, I was at the time I was helping out. There was a program called Watchdogs, yep. and Watchdogs are these dads of great students. That's what the Dogs is about. Dads of great students. So. These dads would come on a given day during the lunch hour and they'd kinda of hang out at the lunchroom and just kind of be there for kids. It was a way to get dads engaged. Right. And Justo Cabanas was the, the the guy at our school that started it. And this was early, early on. And so I got to be a watchdog. And the more I did that, I realized, wow, this teacher needs some help after school with some kids that need some tutoring. So I did that. And then I said, Well, I can help with the book club. I like to read fun books and so I I did a book club. It was just, these are things most parents do. You know what I mean? They they find ways to get involved in their kids' schools. And as I did and I got involved, that involvement came with some conversations with our building administration, me asking questions. But it always came from this posture. Where are the gaps and how am I gifted to serve? That's That's just kind of my thing is... I've got gifts. I want to put them somewhere, but I don't want to just assume I know where those places are. I want to ask.
0: Yeah. So the bottom line, it sounds like you just really have a desire to be helpful. And so, you know, and you have some background of these are things I know I can do. And it's not necessarily like this is rocket science. It's just, I want
1: to be helpful. And so this is, these are the ways that can help. It seems like. sure. So I do think it's about being helpful. I think there's, I think there are, you know, theologically, I think there are some things that point us as faith communities and individuals in the churches. Um, there are things that point us to serving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Scripture's clear. We're all given a gift for a reason.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, that the, the purpose of that gift isn't to hide it. You know, if you if you use the parable of the talents that way, it's not to hide it. Um Matthew talks about how there's sheep and goats and and the sheep are the ones who are saying when were you hungry when were you thirsty. And if we push that parable a little bit, we're asking Jesus when were you Jesus hungry when were you Jesus naked. And so I've always taken that to heart. Part of it is cutting my teeth in youth ministry and doing that so long. That was a normative way for me to be in ministry, engaged yeah outside of the physical building of the church yep and the other part of that is just a clear call to be a part of serving in the community
0: so so you take this posture of wanting to be helpful it's a natural fit you're involved with the schools so how does that play into as you're planting this this new church how does that play into some of those things coming together
1: so i have all these things going on we start meeting as a as a group and um you're really good at keeping me on track tom this is really good i see why you do this via zoom um you can keep me on track so we're we're meeting with this group and uh we begin praying and asking god where are you leading us we used a tool called compassion by design it was i don't think it's even around anymore um but the tool compassion by design was for churches to really do community needs assessments and identify gaps in the community, find um, maybe populations that are underserved or underrepresented, and then discern in your group, what skill sets do we have to address the gaps that we're seeing? So we started doing that as a church. And one of the early things we started doing because of my relationship with the public schools is we knew in Olathe, There was a gap in supports for families who were spanish-speaking at home
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so we started building our launch team our launch team included two families that were puerto rican born families that spoke spanish in the home fluent in english but spoke spanish in the home Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we started building relationships with a couple latino congregations in our community We even early on had scripture read in Spanish or we would have prayer in Spanish. I don't speak a word of Spanish.
2: Yeah.
1: The the issue wasn't me. The issue was what can we do to build a bridge into the community. Right. Tom, we did that for the first probably almost two years of the church. We met together with other churches. We did we did special worship services every fifth Sunday, not fifth Sunday, every quarter. Mm -hmm. We did all kinds of things never once did we feel like we have really caught the, the the sails filled with wind and we were moving somewhere.
2: Yeah.
1: So what happened was we just kept discerning. One Sunday, one of the – back to the Reinharts, we're meeting in their basement. And now we're finally meeting in a public school. Two years into this, we're meeting in a little public school in, in the auditorium.
2: Now, at this,
0: st- point, at, at this point, are you – in your mind, are you thinking I'm on the pathway to having a building? Like, or is, is that your mindset of like, we're meeting in a house and now we're meeting in a school? And a, or is it just, you just happen to meet in a school because that's the space that works?
1: No, we we met in a school intentionally. We did, okay. I mean, from the beginning, we did not want a building. Okay. Um, we We were, and I wouldn't say we, as a core group of leaders, we did not want a building. Um, there were folks in the church that thought we needed to get a building in order to be a church. And I kept saying, the minute we get a building, we're going to be strapped with a mortgage. Mm-hmm. We're going to be strapped with overhead. We're going to be strapped with all the responsibilities of fixing the thing. Or if we're just leasing a building, then why not just lease the school? It's cheap. And community. And community. Not-
0: Yeah. And not to sidetrack you too much, but if you would have gone that route of saying, we got to get this, we got to work towards getting enough critical mass to be able to afford to have a building. How do you think your ministry would have looked differently
2: today?
1: Um, I don't know. I that's a, that's, that's a good question, um, because Wow, Tom, um, I, I guess it could I could say it would look like any other church with a church building and a mortgage and you know, a group of people meeting in the church. The real question is, is, is would I have been able to lead a church to that? Hmm. I I'm guessing if that's the direction we would have gone that church may be still going but it probably wouldn't have me as its pastor Hmm. I I just I don't think I don't see myself there yeah um and so honestly that never was if we ever had a building, the reason we wanted a building was because it would serve the needs of a community, not be a worship center. Yeah. We had at one time brainstormed and and looked for properties that we could purchase that might have become a community center. And we even made a run at um, a former Masonic temple lodge here in Olathe to try and do that. But the reality is that never caught. In the sales, it never became something, and I, I haven't ever really looked back. I don't know if we would have ever been a viable church. Yeah. yeah. Because I don't know that my leadership could have taken us there that way. Well,
0: and I, I, I wanted
1: to kind of tease that out a little bit because I
0: feel like we default to kind of our experience. I think as leaders, a lot of times, and we default to the paradigms that we understand it's very easy for us to fall into a paradigm that we don't naturally fit into that doesn't represent our unique gifts or contributions to the kingdom of god we just are well this is the template and this is this is what a pastor looks like and so at some point we got to we got to grow up and become a, a fully formed adult church which looks like a building and these things that you traditionally see so for you you know, you're so you're meeting in a school and you're trying to pursue this this mission. And you're still not, even, even though you're kind of still trying to be faithful to this original vision, that's not kind of filling this, the sales aren't filling up with wind there. So what's that process like when you're kind of at this and you're excited and it's just not happening. What's, what's the conversation that you're having with your, with your team, with your people?
1: Prayer and practice, you know, it's just, um, we continued to pray, is this the right thing? We continued to talk about that as leadership. We continued to talk about that with the whole church. Um, what ended up happening was, um, in the process of praying and trying to discern, uh, one of the guys in our church came and said, uh, hey, there's this group that, um, his company had people who were employed out of the state penitentiary in, in Kansas, in Lansing. Mm-hmm. And he said, "These some of these guys really get it. They get their faith. They get what's going on. They can. They are hard workers. They're they're making life change, and they get it." Yeah. So Randy, Randy Reinhardt, we were meeting in their basement. Now we're in the school. Randy says they come out and do worship services with people. They share testimonies and do all that. So I said, "Well, let's try it." And so we invited them to come out and share a worship service with. That that was the tip of the fulcrum for us. The teeter totter went the other way. And how did you
0: know that? Like, how was that? Like, wow, this, there's something different about this than this other thing we're yeah.
1: do? So it was, it God made it obvious. So this group of about twelve guys come in. They did a worship set. Uh, everything went great. Guy shared his testimony, and his testimony was, um, i have I'm in prison. For murder because I was a part of a gas station robbery that took place four blocks from this school. Hmm. And when that robbery went down, the gas station attendant was killed, I was driving the car, and so I'm serving, you know, I'm, I'm a part of that crime. Yeah. And so he said, you know, I'm serving my sentence right now, but I've never had a chance to come back to this community and apologize and ask for forgiveness. Wow. So then another guy got up and preached, and then we had intentionally planned a pizza lunch for everybody afterward, and I didn't know what this would look like. I was a little nervous, especially after hearing the testimony. I was a little nervous. What's our what's our kind of still gentle little kind of nice church plant going to do with these guys coming in? Because this
0: is different. So you know Matt Thomas, correct, from? Three
1: yes, yeah. So yep.
0: Matt was on last week.
2: Mm-hmm. He was he, in Brothers in Blue.
0: Yeah, and so he's doing it, but he's coming at it from, I was incarcerated, so I understand these guys because I, that they, I was them. And so you know, his ministry is made up of people that are primarily, they've, they've been in that place, and they're kind of like reaching their hand back.
1: Right. But that's not you guys. No, no. We were just typical South Johnson County church. Maybe yeah. not typical. We were just a Johnson County church. John's the kind of people that
0: nothing exceptional in the sense of like, you don't have these crazy stories. You don't have a bunch of people with criminal records that have a real heart for people who, who are incarcerated,
1: real broken people. That's all we are. Nothing special. Yeah. Nothing special in our story. Nothing special in my background. Um, so they come in that Sunday, we had several guests that were there because they came to hear these guys speak. Some of them were family. Some of them just knew them. And One of the guys that came, he and his wife, was the guy that taught many of these guys how to weld at Randy's company. And so he had heard they were going to be in Olathe, so he just decided to come out. Didn't go to church anywhere, doesn't go to church anywhere. Fifty years, hadn't gone to church. So at the end of the worship service, one of the first things that happened is we, we tell everybody we're going to go get dinner or lunch together and I said would our church please be intentional to make sure that there is a spot available at your table for one of the brothers in blue yeah and they end up our church literally ended up first of all lining up to hug this guy's neck of that the just shared his testimony and say we're so glad you're here yeah well that blew me away because I really expected people to say you sat at that table over there but they didn't
0: Yeah, man.
1: But then our church not only made space for them, but pursued them. They went out and and found them and said, Come and sit with us and tell us your story and, and let us share with your story. And that lunch went way longer. We were we were way over time that day at the school. Yeah. But then the other thing that happened was Dennis, the guy who came to visit, who he and his wife had not been to church pretty much since they got married. Dennis came up and he said, do you do funerals? And I thought, that's a weird question, man. For a guy I just met, that's a weird question. I Mm -hmm. said, well, I do. He said, well, then this is the church we're going to start attending. And I Mm -hmm. said, well, Dennis, that's great. Where have you guys been attending? He said, I haven't attended church with my wife since we got married. I don't attend church. But if you're going to treat men like this, this way, then... I can be a part of it. Come to find out later, he had two sons that were incarcerated. Wow. So that became, I mean, how God couldn't make it more obvious. So so when you go home that night
0: and you're sitting with your wife after this day, you know, as, as pastors do, you know, reviewing your Sunday, I mean, what's that conversation like is, you, is, is you're kind of processing all of this just happened because this wasn't, you didn't script that this was going to happen. This God just kind of shows up, and so, I mean, what, I can only imagine the conversation you have at home that night.
1: Yeah, the conversation was, was really kind of like you just described, what just happened, and what does this mean, and how, you know, it was, it wasn't even so much a conversation as much as questions. What does this mean? How do, how do we put this into action? What, who, where do we even serve in Johnson County like this? I mean, these folks are living all the way up in Lansing, and they can't come every Sunday to our church. All right. <clears throat> so what happened out of that, don't forget I'm still on the Drug and Alcoholism Council. Sure. So I'm already hearing about programs that Johnson County Corrections is doing. Within, again, I cannot chalk this up to dumb luck because I'm not that lucky.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, So what ends up happening is within two, three weeks, now we are, um, so what's that, 10? So 11, so it is December of 2011. I'm invited to go to a program training called Strengthening Families. And in 2011, Johnson County Corrections, at the end of that training, I, so short story, I promise it'll be short. So we get through the training, two day training. And at the end of the training, um, we were, there were probably 50 people in the room, Johnson County government, nonprofits, safe home, police, myself. I was the only pastor in the room. Everybody else, we go around the room. How can we make strengthening families happen in our community? Johnson County said, we can't do it at our place because we have to lock the building at a certain hour and people just can't be in there afterwards. Safe Home said, no, you know, we can't have whole families coming on site. It's not safe. Um, Johnson County Mental Health said, we can only provide meals and child care for the, the, the client we serve. We can't do it for the whole family. And it came around to me, and I said, well, I don't have any of your barriers. Yeah. If you need a church, a building, even though we don't have one, I have Five different pastors who have buildings empty every day of the week except for Sunday and Wednesdays. Yep. And I said, if you need transportation, the vans are setting idle the same days. I said, if you need a meal, our church sneezes and a potluck comes out. It just yeah. happens with us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I said, if if you need volunteers in childcare, we already have people that are childcare certified and they've gone through background checks. Yeah. I said, here's the problem with us. We're a church of 40 people, and by the time we do this twice, everybody in the church will have strengthening families, and we're done.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't have your referrals. So then, of course, the discussion was, well, we can't partner with the church. But who are the most desperate organizations in any community? Corrections. Yeah. And so Corrections came up to us and said, well, we, we would like to explore that partnership. We met several times through the next couple of months. We set up a, a memorandum of understanding. We agreed that this would be not be a faith-based program, that we would kind of leave that discussion at the door, and there was a lot of resistance and corrections, but they needed to run some evidence-based programs, some good programs that would help families, and I knew this was a good program for my time on the Drug and Alcoholism Council because I'd heard the presentations about it. Yeah. And so we got our people trained, and we started running Strengthening Families, and they called it for two and a half years, they called it a pilot, Hmm. because they just couldn't say we're partnering with a church. (laughs) And by the end of that two and a half years, it was actually written into the county performance measures, so they saw this as a program that was there to stay. Wow. Then opportunities began to open up. I was invited to be on um, the Criminal Justice Advisory Council for Johnson County. I was invited to be on the the Community Corrections Advisory Board. Um, Along this time, go back to the story of Dennis Wright, one of my guys who came to Christ during Brothers in Blue, now is volunteering, helping serve meals during this program, says to me, Lee, we can train people to weld. And now we're just about three years ago. We can train people, or no, about seven years ago, we can train people to weld. And um, so we started doing a welding program, and then pretty quickly realized they needed more than just welding. They needed life skills. And three years ago, we launched a nonprofit. And so I don't get paid full time by the church. If, if we were that other church, maybe I would be getting paid full time.
2: Yeah.
1: But I don't get paid full time. But what I am able to do is be co-vocational. But we built the other vocation. Yeah. And now that board is seated with people from faith communities from across Johnson County and people that don't have a faith story yet. And I say yet because for the first time they're in a room doing the work that they're passionate about with people who are doing it because they are followers of Christ. Yeah. So as you're talking You know,
0: I've I've sat in your seat now and followed in your footsteps a little bit, kind of like benefiting from the trail that you've blazed in some of these arenas. But you know, I know that sometimes the question comes out of, well, how is this really mission? You know, you're not if it's if it's not a faith-based program, then why does a church have any business doing it? But where do you see the benefit? How do you see this as like a faithful engagement of church resources even though it's not you know inherently faith-based how do you see it as like yeah we know this is where god would have us be
1: so um so that's where you and i've had these conversations and and you continue to slip into this language of something being inherently faith-based what does that mean tom yeah what does it mean to be inherently faith-based this is inherently faith-based The Christ in me walks into a room with families that are in chaos every time we do strengthening families. The Christ in me is in chaos. And I do not have to share chapter and verse. We forget that Christ's mission, when he knelt next to the prostitute, those are the people I'm kneeling next to. When he knelt next to the prostitute who was about to be stoned, he didn't quote chapter and verse of Leviticus about why she should be stoned, or he didn't quote one of the Psalms about God's mercy. He confronted her accusers, and then he said to her, now go and sing no more. Yeah, yeah. My whole point is that time, that time between confronting the unjust systems that are challenging people, or even even if we consider those just systems, that they are suffering the consequences of their own poor decisions. However you want to look at it from that time to the time where you say, go and sin no more for me is more elongated than it was for Christ. And do you blame me? I'm not Jesus. Right. Right.
0: Well, and when I was talking with Matt last week, I mean, he shared about, I wanted to get a sense of what is it like to be that person who's just, you know, either at the end of their sentence or just been paroled. And you kind of spoke to it earlier with the experience of, you know, people coming to your church, but I would imagine people coming out of being in an incarcerated situation don't aren't expecting the church to be the most welcoming place for them. They're not expect their expectation is they're going to have probably doors slammed in their face. So when they have doors open to them, I would imagine that leaves quite an impact and not just, for people who've been incarcerated, but just in general, I, for some reason you know the the our world has gotten the sense of the church being a condemning presence more than a welcoming presence and so I mean I've you know through your connections you know we've we've hosted now strengthening families for a couple seasons, and yeah, it's amazing to see the walls break down when it's like oh you're you're a pastor but you're not like in like robes and and stuff like that and like standing up at a pulpit pointing your finger. And it's just a whole different, once it's just, we're two people having a conversation, it's a whole different dynamic, right?
1: So your, your church already has these people doing this work. Right. Um, You have people working with Johnson County human services. Those people walk into their jobs governed by the same Christ that I serve. Right. They don't have to show chapter and verse. They don't have to sit there and quote the gospel or lead somebody to Christ for people to be convinced that they care about them, that they have value, intrinsic value. Where is the gospel in that? The gospel is found in the ability to communicate to others that you have value because God has given you value. Yeah, yeah. That itself is the gospel message. And if we can't figure out how to go out and empower our churches to be in their communities and live that message, what is compelling about the story of Jesus is not, get back to youth ministry, what I told you. That's why teens were leaving the church. What was compelling about the church for them was they were going on mission trips. They were taking their friends who didn't know Jesus on canoe trips. They were playing basketball. They had their pastors coming to visit them at lunchtime on the schools. I mean, right. what was what was engaging about them was Christ was everywhere. Right. And they didn't have to talk about it everywhere. It just was, it permeated their lives. And so I wanted a church that looked that way.
0: Yeah. No, I've said, I mean, you and I are both, you know, youth ministry veterans, and I've I've told anybody who will listen that youth ministry prepares you for anything ministry wise. I feel like there's so much that you, you have, you cannot fake it. You cannot fake, you know, your heart for people. You cannot fake compassion. I mean, I guess you can, but the people who are, who last in youth ministry are the ones who are just real people who show up in a consistent way and treat people with love and grace and meet those teenagers where they're at. And if you just translate those concepts to, anybody regardless of what age you are i think it it's a they're kind of universal ministry concepts so you find yourself so you started a church you want to meet gaps in the community you tried a certain direction that didn't turn out to be the way you kind of sort of seems like stumble into this gathering where you invite some people to leave worship it opens a whole new door and now you have this nonprofit. so how does this come to be and 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 so what's happening with that Cause that seems like something you could have never predicted on your own, but now here you are.
1: Never, never saw this. Um, and let's face it, Tom, seminary doesn't prepare us for this kind of stuff. It does not. Um, seminary prepares us for the theological um, work that we do within the churches and the care ministries that we do within churches, but not for starting your own nonprofit, your own, basically your own business. Yeah. So how that worked was it, one of the one of the hurdles for going the next level with Johnson County Corrections was we kept trying to take that next step in relationship as Christ the Servant Church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: On behalf of Johnson County Corrections, we needed to take that next step without the baggage of being called the church. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, Corrections has ample Bible studies people who come in and do um, treatment programs like uh, celebrate recovery right they're all of those things they welcome those but we wanted to go deeper and the reason we wanted to go deeper tom was this was now a trending concept for me yeah was i realized that all of a sudden it was more than just correction said we ha- we need something that you have And we are willing to let you bring that thing in. Corrections was now saying to me, how can we do more of this? How can we engage more with people in the community?
0: Yeah. Well, and and as we've gotten to know each other, it seems like you've moved from being sort of this outsider coming in that wants to be helpful that now you're kind of part of the fabric of a system. You know, I mean I was at a, a hearing in the city of Lanexa about a homeless shelter a few weeks ago and you helped co co-write a you know a a petition that you know so there's a now it's not like the church and the county. There's sort of like this this intermingling, right? That's happening.
1: Right. Um it in a sense it's intermingling. In a sense, what's happened is um so when I came first on the um, the Criminal Justice Advisory Council, uh, Annabeth Serbaugh was the, uh, the chair of the council at the time, and she invited me to come on. She knew me uh, from things that we had already been doing. And she said, when I interviewed to come on the council, she asked me, she said, what do you plan on doing this for? And I said, I plan on doing it because I want to be a part of strengthening the fabric of our county. Yeah. I want to be a part of being a community connection. And when I come in the room, I see all county paid people. I don't see any community people. So I want to be one of those. Yeah. And she said, well, I hope you really do that because we've had ministers come on before and all they do is talk about getting people connected to their church or to a church. Yep. And so I came on that council with the purpose of becoming a part of the solution, not offering a product. Yeah. And so in doing that, that increased that audience. And, And I think, I think these are some of the reasons Paul was called into audience with leaders who were not faith community leaders in his day that he saw beyond just building a group of constituents to becoming a part of the fabric of a community and letting those values and those concerns permeate the community from a grassroots level into the county government. Yeah. So you're right, that that has continued to where I just finished a two-year engagement with Johnson County to redo the way the Adult Residential Center handles programs and our program is one of the key programs that will be a part of the adult residential center for the next decade. Yeah. And the reason for that is because I committed to becoming a part of a voice. The caution here, Tom, and, and I want to give you a caution. I love getting to share this part of the story. The caution is, is that people will look at that and say, well, I could never get there. So I don't know where to start. I wanna remind you, this all came from us praying and saying, what are the needs in our community? And every one of us can glean those needs by reading the Johnson County Sun, by listening to a handful of county government web, um, um, Facebook Lives, when, when our County Board of County Commissioners has meetings, with a handful of ways we can dip into our community's need and ask what do they need
0: well and even i mean i started going to the continuum of care meetings and i haven't been since covid um and i've just been doing them over zoom but it was always really fascinating to me that there's not a whole lot of faith-based not that there aren't believers around the circle but there's very few people that are sitting around that sitting around that circle saying I am a pastor or I am a rabbi or I am a faith leader. Most of them are part of a, an organizational, you know, an, a different entity. And it's amazing that there just aren't that many,
1: yeah, pastors that are showing up in those settings to just listen. So when we get back to that very first part of our conversation, one of the images that I've had for the church is that a lot of times the church looks like a fountain. Beautiful, filled with living water, flowing and cascading down all these tiers. And and if you want to do that, you can come to that fountain and you can dip your hands in there and you can partake.
2: Yeah.
1: The church, we have plenty of fountains in our community that are beautiful, invitational settings. Yeah we need more living streams that risk going out into the community, evaporating, running over muddy ground, getting a little bit dirty, but just those streams of living water that find their way through the cracks and the gaps in the community and fill those spots with living water. Yeah,
0: well, and I think the other part of the conversation that it's important to note as well in case anybody gets the any ideas. It isn't like, since you've gotten so integrated into the fabric of Johnson County that your church is like blown up in membership, right? It isn't, it's not like, well, now that we're doing this, we've got 2000 people and now we have to no. be, you know, it, it hasn't really led to like numerical growth, but that's not really the point. Right. I mean, that's not really it'd be nice to be nice to have that as a byproduct, but.
1: Right. No, that's not what's happened. Um and no, I don't even think it would be nice if that was a byproduct. Because in the end, if that was a byproduct, what would I do with my time? I would have to focus on the organizational structure of that church. Yeah. If I if I could mourn one thing that we have not been able to do as a church is plant another church. Yeah. Because we've never had that mass to to split off and plant. Yeah, and I would have done it if we would have gotten up to 50, 60 people. I'd have said, "Hey, half of you need to go find your own house." Yeah. But I mean, we run about 35, 40 on a Sunday with kids and everything. You know, all the folks counted. Yeah. But here's the thing, Tom. What hasn't happened is the church has exploded. What has happened, and I, this isn't to brag. It's just to be honest. What has happened is. The chair of the county commission knows who I am and knows that I'm a pastor. Yeah. The director of corrections calls me to have conversations about things related to the department. Yeah.
2: There
1: are people that when there are people that call me and ask for opinions. Judges have invited me to come and participate in things with them. Yeah. That's, to me, that was the glory of what Paul did, was he figured out how to be both firmly planted in the church and firmly planted in civic affairs. Yeah. And in doing so, it gave him an audience with the Areopagus. But it also gave him an audience where he could walk into any house in Corinth and speak.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Man, and it's such a
0: different target from most churches. I mean it's just a different you're you're shooting for you're 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 playing a different game in a sense. I mean it's it's I guess the same league, but you're just it's a different, you know, you're you have different equipment. You're not trying to accomplish the same you are trying to accomplish the same overall goal, but just going about it in a totally different
1: way than than, than most churches. So I'll share a story with you. Um I yeah. was one of the surprising things is the clients we serve, the people we serve, there have been some of those folks who've come to the church and stayed. Um, they felt like they were being loved. They had no church home. They didn't even know what a church home was, and they experienced that acceptance and love outside of the church, so they ended up coming to the church. We have we have quite a few families who are a part of our church today. They're that, that way. What was interesting is um, three times over the course of, of us getting engaged, Um, I've had people who were staffed with corrections ask me, why do you do this? Yeah. One of those, and she recently moved, one of those, I remember the day that she called me up and she said, Lee, I've got a personal question I need to ask you. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, I think I'd like to read the Bible. Hmm. Bible would I read. Hmm and so we talked about versions of the bible and i ended up buying her a version of the message and got it for and we had conversations about what she was reading yeah man never came to the church right but i think that's the work of the church yeah build relationships yeah
0: Man, I know we're 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 getting to the home stretch here. I want to make sure you get an opportunity to talk about so you did this nonprofit is up and going. What are some of the things that are happening through through
1: Encircle sure. the- is the name of our nonprofit. We talk about encircling those that we serve um, with community supports and with anything we can do to help them live a new and vibrant life outside of corrections. We primarily serve families or individuals who've been impacted by the criminal justice system. And um, we do three big programs. We do still do Strengthening Families. Um, Because of COVID, we've hit a pause, but January, we're planning on starting back up. Um, We do a program called Discovery, which is a teen group that helps teens who are currently court-involved Uh, discern what is it that they want in life, because none of them want to stay in corrections, and we want to start breaking some of those cycles before they get to adult corrections. And then the third program is called the College of Trades, and that is our big program that we run at the Adult Residential Center in Johnson County, working with clients to get them a skilled trade, um, mentoring, and some kind of life skills for how to keep and, you know, get and keep a job. So those are our three programs. We continue to look for individuals who would like to mentor. And from us, mentoring means meeting once every couple of months, uh, maybe for an hour or every couple of weeks, maybe for an hour a week um, or an hour each meeting. And just being there to be a sounding board for clients. Many of them don't have parents that are a sounding board for them or other trusted adults that are a good sounding board. Most of them are coming out of environments where all of their sounding boards are saying, do the wrong thing with this, because this is much more fun than doing the right thing. Yeah. So we want to introduce them to new sounding boards, and my well for finding those sounding boards is the church. Mm. Um, some of them will have a faith story and want to have a faith story. Some of them will say, no, I don't really want to talk about the faith stuff. And if somebody's uncomfortable with that, we'll find somebody that they're comfortable talking. There are all kinds of ways to get involved, but what's happened is we have found faith community leaders in their own churches that teach our life skills that are now um, one of our co-funded positions. We fund part of a position at Johnson County Community College for a transition coach for folks coming out of incarceration. Hmm. Um, Our new program director is um, a wonderful, she came out of child welfare system, but is just a faith-filled woman that has convictions about helping people with second chances and redemption so we find ways to help mobilize the church that's what we do um, we want to have people of faith come and be willing to simply build relationships and trust that simply by kneeling next to someone and showing that you care that the conversation will turn to the things that bring about eternal change
0: yeah. So if someone would want to get involved or, or learn more about how would they do that? Where would they get, where would I send them?
1: Incircle.org. Okay. In capital N circle.org. And um, you can read about our programs. You can contact me through that. Um, there are, we're constantly putting new things out. We do have, um, if you go to uh, Incircle Together at Facebook. Uh, if you're a LinkedIn type, I do almost all of my posts are on LinkedIn. You can go to Incircle Together at LinkedIn, um, and those are the places you can start gleaning a little bit of information about what we do. Man, that's awesome.
0: As we kind of kind of wrap up our time today, man, it went fast. I feel like our hour kind of just it, it scooted right by, which is typical for for us. But if you had a room full of pastors who are in all different kinds of settings and you had, you know, a couple of minutes to share a heart for community engagement or, you know, we've been kind of talking about in a roundabout way, like asset based community development. Um, what kind of a plea would you make to pastors and ministry leaders? And maybe just what, what plea would you make to the church? Um, what, what would you, what would you love to see? Maybe, and this, I'm asking like multiple questions, but, what would you what would you love to see the legacy of the church of kansas city or maybe what the church of kansas city is ultimately known for
1: wow um they're easy questions these are softballs right so i was um i was in a meeting with Um, a handful of faith leaders, and um, several chiefs of police from across Johnson County. So every city, of course, has its own police department. These were chiefs of police. And um, this was kind of the question, what can the church do in this space related to race and, you know, other disparities across Johnson County around homelessness, around all the social challenges that the police see daily, and that some church folks are addressing. And so the question really was laid out, what what are you doing? And one of the things that, that I communicated to the group is we need to be better at advocating for others, even if they're not a part of our communities, but advocating for others. Advocating for the homeless, going to the continuum of care on homelessness, finding ways to to serve and to actually advocate. It's one thing to serve a meal, Tom, and everybody we everybody in the church should go out and serve a meal or to provide some other support. But honestly, it's it's moving from that simple gift of support to then becoming advocates. Hmm. Um And I think that's the thing that I would hope for the church uh, across Kansas City, is that we would see more of our church members and our church leaders equipped and challenged from the pulpit uh, in their discipleship to become advocates. Ultimately, I go back to the story, and this is kind of my model for ministry, of Jesus kneeling next to the prostitute. Hmm. The first thing he did was advocated for her. Yeah, by asking the rest of those around to identify who was without sin and had the right to cast the first stone. Right, and in doing that, he looks at her and says, "Now, where are your accusers?" He doesn't then say, "See what I did for you." He says, "Now, where are your accusers? Look up, they're gone." So advocacy. Yeah. Well, awesome. Lee, I
0: really appreciate your time to sit down and share your heart. I would love to have another conversation down the road, and I'm sure you and I will probably have multiple conversations just offline. But um, I appreciate your time with us, and, and and so as we continue this journey of discovering how God is working in the greater community, I want to just encourage you every every Wednesday night at eight o'clock. This this debuts live on. Um, youtube and coming soon this will also be in podcast form on spotify and hopefully apple podcast coming very soon so you can listen to it as you're during your commute or as you're going out and working out but um let's stay plugged into what god is doing and join him in his big mission so well thanks lee and thanks everybody for joining us this week we'll take care <music>